Dear Heavenly Merciful Father, we thank you and praise you, not just for what you have done, but simply because you are who you are. Mm. We thank you for the DA with DA, Lord God, and the family who's um, on the lives right now and who, those who watch later. Please be with every single person. Bless us, anoint us, oh Lord God, and help us to be utilized as vessels to win souls for the kingdom. Amen. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let's go to page 76. Not page, rather, but chapter 76. And uh, we're going to move through this. We don't have to. We don't. We're not racing through it. But let's um, let's have a good, open, vigorous conversation here. Try not to look over this way, Hannah, because you're going to see my word at least on I'm this first gonna... little bit here. Um, Johnny, would you be so kind? Actually, Hannah, you prayed. So, Johnny, would you be so kind? And if you don't mind reading from Hannah, that'd be great. Um, read to us that first. Actually, the first two paragraphs, if you would, nice sure. and loud. The history of Judas presents the sad ending of a life that might have been honored of God. Had Judas died before his last journey to Jerusalem, he would have been regarded as a man worthy of a place among the twelve, and one who would be greatly missed. The abhorrence which has followed him through the centuries would not have existed but for the attributes revealed at the close of his history. Hmm. But it was for a purpose that his character was laid open to the world. It was to be a warning to all who, like him, should betray sacred trusts. A little before the Passover, Judas had renewed his contract with the priest to deliver Jesus into their hands. Then it was arranged that the Savior should be taken at one of his resorts for meditation and prayer. Since the feast at the house of Simon, Judas had had the opportunity to reflect upon the deed which he had covenanted to perform, but his purpose was unchanged. For thirty pieces of silver, the price of a slave, he sold the Lord of glory to ignominy and death. Okay, first two paragraphs there. And by the way, if I run ahead and there was anything that you said, oh, you skipped something, just just bring us right back. No problem. Okay, so in this uh, first paragraph here, one of the things that jumped out at me and I was like, wow, that's remarkable. But it, it is kind of a commonsensical point, but I really appreciate the fact that Ellen White made it. And that is that if, if something had happened to Judas, if he died in an accident or if he'd had some disease and he had perished before this last week of his life, we would think about Judas very differently than we now do, mm -hmm. right? Like we would think, oh, he was one of the 12 and he was faithful and we don't know a lot about him, but our general perception and sense of him would have been positive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what we discover here in this last week is that it's not that Judas became treacherous or became a traitor in the last week. It's that what was there was revealed, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so you have um, almost this sort of rot inside or like, you know, the, the, the house looks whole, it looks good, it looks fine, it looks stable, but it's eaten out with, mm -hmm. with termites. Okay. And there's actual a, actually a fundamental problem. She makes a great point. If it hadn't been for that last week, we wouldn't know this. Did that jump out to you guys at all? Like, whoa, mm -hmm. we can look like we're one thing and then all of a sudden, a set of circumstances change, and who we really are is on display and is revealed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely, for sure. I mean, one of the things I wrote at the beginning, I mean, I think I wrote something for every paragraph, but um, Judas didn't maximize his potential to be a true disciple of Christ. He obliterated it. And I like how she said it in the beginning, you know, how he talks about the sad ending of a life that might have been honored by God, mm. that might have been. So the potential was there. He didn't maximize it. He didn't use the opportunity that Christ gave him. And just kind of going down to the last um, sentence of the last, last of the paragraph. the second paragraph. Yeah, the second paragraph. 
when it says, For 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave he sold the Lord um, of glory to ignominy, right? Ignominy. Ignominy, which means public shame and disgrace. Mm -hmm. I look things up too. Good for you, girl. And death. Um, what stood out to me was um, within the price of a slave. And so for 30 pieces of silver, I mean, like you're selling out Christ, like, dude, are you serious? Mm. And so it reminded me of a sermon that I once heard. One of the greatest sermons ever is called, What Wondrous Love Is This? Mm. <laughs> I know who preached that sermon. <laughs> this guy right here. I've heard it a couple times. <laughs> but the awkward version, I mean, that one. Yeah, that, yeah the awkward version was a, was a good one. That's hot. You guys should listen to that. Um, <laughs> and he said, the pastor, this guy here, said... The value of an item is determined by the one who is willing to pay the, the price. price. Hmm. And we see that Judas did not value Christ. I mean, we talked about it in the previous Ooh, chapters. How I see where you're going with this. You called him rabbi. You didn't even acknowledge him as the son of yeah. you know, God. Lord, is it I? Lord, is it exactly. I? Lord, is it I? Rabbi, is it I? Okay. Exactly. So for him, he didn't value Christ. And that's why he sold him for 30 pieces. I mean, what's that? It's equivalent to, I think, $16 and 67 something like that. $16 in today's, you know, hmm. uh, but for, for that, you know, that was just not even worth it. I like what you say there, Hannah, about how he didn't value Jesus because one of the things that emerges in this chapter is that Judas, one of his primary considerations with regards to Jesus' rise or fall, his popularity or lack thereof, was that Judas's own fortunes were tied up with Jesus. Mm -hmm. He wants Jesus to mm -hmm. be on the throne of David because mm -hmm. that benefits him. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so when you so. say that he didn't value Jesus, there's actually a really sad truth to that. Mm -hmm. What he valued was what Jesus could do for him. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, it was almost a utilitarian relationship. Mm -hmm. And when he began to see, hey, wait, this guy's washing my feet. This guy is saying, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. There were all these little turning points where along the way, Judas finally goes, this guy's not going to get where I want him to get for me. Mm. Yeah. So when you say the value, that's a great point. Johnny, anything in those yeah, first two um, paragraphs that pop to you? Yes. Yeah, so I, I bought here this little coin. Oh, yeah. What do you have there? Show, so this is, uh, Show it nice and close. Can you guys see that? This is what's called a Tyrrhenian shekel. Put it lower, baby. I don't know if that, is there that, you go. It's perfect. Is that better like yeah, that? Yeah, great. Okay. So this a Tyrrhenian shows, shekel. Yeah. And apparently this is the 30 pieces of silver, right? That would have been uh, paid to Jesus. That's the equivalent, the equivalent of 30 pieces of silver. It's a four, what's called a four drachma coin. That's right. That's right. So um, one of the things that stood out, and I was reading Can I see the, that? Yeah, sure. Um, that one of the commentaries was saying, and I don't know how true this is, that um, the price that was paid for Jesus was a tenth of what Mary Magdalene paid, paid for that ointment. Right? So one was like 300 denarii, the alabaster, and this one was 30. And so it, what they were suggesting, which I thought was very interesting, is that to Judas, Jesus was worth a tenth of what he was worth to Mary. Mm. Mary valued Jesus ten times more than Judas did. She was willing to give a whole year's salary. But for Judas, like you were saying, he was wondering, what's in it for me? What do I get out of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, Jesus yeah. was just kind of a tool, um, something that he would use to ultimately get what he desired, what he wanted to. And he was, he was not willing to pay the price that Mary was willing to pay. Yeah, Judas saw Jesus as a vehicle for mm. his own ambition. Yep. And when Jesus began behaving and acting and, and speaking in ways that were not consistent with what he was... I mean, frankly, that's true for everybody. Sure. I mean, yeah. Jesus, isn't, Jesus isn't behaving in the way that Peter thought he should or John thought he should mm. or the religious leaders thought he should. But, but Judas appeared to be a disciple and stayed with him on that journey right up until it became clear 
this guy's not going where I want him to go. Mm. And one of the things that's going to come up in this chapter is that in the betrayal, Judas actually thinks he's going to facilitate and catalyze Jesus' mm. manifestation of his power. Mm. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But, okay, I also want to point out, I loved what you said there, Hannah, about the potential thing. Mm. You know, the, you, your first word, or one of your first words that you said was, he didn't realize his potential. Mm -hmm. Jesus, of course, saw the potential in Judas, mm -hmm. right? And he was working with him not based on what he was, but based on what he could become. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. But Judas didn't actualize himself by his own decisions, that potential. And God cannot force us to be what we ourselves are unwilling to be. What's that quote you yeah, used? There, there's Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president of the United States, had a famous quote where he said, the most common commodity in America is that of unrealized potential, right? Um, mm. What might have when someone said that the saddest words of tongue or pen are these, what might, might have, have been, been, what could have been, the potential, the possibility, the unrealized um, problem. I mean, I just think, you know, of someone like Paul, who had also a lot of skills and abilities and talents, and yet he realized that all of them were nothing compared to, to giving himself entirely to Christ. And, and here you have someone that's the opposite, which the reverse. is, of course, Judas, who's saying, I, I'm going to teach Jesus a lesson. Let me show him how it works. And those three words, might have been, mm. are literally in the first sentence. Mm. The history of Judas presents the sad ending of a life that might have been mm. honored of God. Mm. So unrealized potential. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, she also says here, very interestingly, and she returns back to this, uh, in that second paragraph there, since the feast at the house of Simon, mm. Judas had had opportunity to reflect. Remember, it was at the at the feast mm. where where Judas objects to Mary's active devotion and worship yeah. and says, "Hey, this could have been what? This could have been given to the poor, right?" And then when Jesus subtly but significantly rebukes him and says, "Yeah, actually, the poor you always have with you, mm. but what she's done is a good work," that that pierced Judas, mm. and that was the point, and she comes back to this, she says something about what happened at Simon's feast was his moment. It mm -hmm. was his moment of reckoning, his moment of decision, and he was reflecting, you know, oh, should I betray him, shouldn't mm. I, should mm -hmm. I, shouldn't yeah. I? And uh, so something happened at that feast that was definitive for him. Mm -hmm. It was a mm -hmm. catalyzing moment. Mm -hmm. um, then she gets into the next chapter and starts talking about how Judas had a particularly strong uh, love for money. She mm, even yeah. uses the word avarice. Mm. Yep. And she says he fostered the evil spirit of avarice. You think about a foster parent, mm. right? Mm. What does a foster parent do? It nurtures, it cares. Mm. So, so he not only had an attraction to money, an interest in money, a propensity for he money, fed he fed that. It was a cherished sin. It was a pet sin. And he would not seek to weaken the strength mm. of that sin in his life or that weakness in his life. He strengthened it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah? That pop out to you guys mm. at all? Uh, absolutely. Um, and then so she says, through becoming the slave of one vice, he gave himself to Satan. And I thought, whoa. The power you don't have to have 20 vices, 10 vices, mm. five vices, one will do. Yep. One sin consistently cherished can neutralize the power, the saving power of Jesus. It's incredible. Mm. Hey, go ahead, baby. Well, I was just going to say, it's very interesting what you mentioned about uh, he became a slave to vice. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but in the paragraph before, she says, for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. slave. And then later on, she says, 
through becoming the slave of one vice. Yeah, the play on slave. So, yeah, this, this idea of like, yeah, he was willing to make Jesus a slave, but it was Judas who was actually a slave. Oh, great point. So I got a point for that okay, one. Okay, let's hear it. So when it says, the love of mammon overbalanced his love for Christ, what, what came to my mind was Matthew six twenty four when it says, no man can serve two masters, mm. for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other, Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So, I mean, in Christ, well, not Christ, but Judas, he sold out Christ as a slave, yet Judas was mm. a slave himself. Come on. A slave to sin. A slave to sin. A slave yep. to greed, particularly. Yep. Mm. Um, can I just ask you guys a really personal question mm. here? Yes. I'm going to put you right on the spot. <laughs> is, is, is money a weakness for you? Do you feel like that's an area for you where it's like, yeah, that's a temptation? We all have our temptations and weaknesses, but like for me, that's not a real weakness of mine and it never has been. So I do have trouble relating to this specific sin. I have other weaknesses and in, in areas in my life, but that's not a particular struggle for me. How about you guys? So for me, like I grew up kind of poor, you know, my dad didn't have a lot. My mom was a stay at home mom for the most part. And I remember one time sitting in the back of a 1983 Volkswagen Rabbit Burgundy. I don't know if you guys know what a Volkswagen Rabbit <laughs> I is. I know what a Volkswagen Rabbit is. And a 1983 one. And just looking out, this is in Brentwood, New York, going by a little street called Fifth Avenue near Entenmann. So if anyone is from New York and knows that area, Long Island. And I just remember thinking to myself, I don't ever want to be poor. Like, I just didn't want to be poor. That was my thing. So I think my struggle is, you know, more like the hoarding of it, like in the sense like, oh, I don't, I don't want to not have enough so that I can take care of my needs and my family's needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think to some degree, you know, everyone is a little, I'm more of a saver. Like, I'm more like, okay, I don't want to waste any of it. I don't want to misuse it. For some people, they just want to have a lot so they can spend it um, as much. So, yeah, I think for some degree, I think, you know, that comes with maybe some of the upbringing that you have, that weakness of mm. saying, I don't want to have anything lacking, you know? So, it's yeah. funny that you yeah. say that. You're making me feel a little self-conscious <laughs> here because my oldest son, Landon, has said to me numerous times, Dad, I, I don't want to live like, you know, we've lived. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? We've had a great family. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love all that, Dad. You've been great. But I don't, you know, I don't want to. And he doesn't want to say it. And then he says, I, I just, I want to have more money than we have. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I, I just want to have a little more money than we presently have. So I wonder if someday my son is going to be saying, you know, I was sitting in the back of a Subaru Forester and I was looking out and, you know what I'm saying? Like... But, you know, the life of a... I mean, you were a pastor's son? Yeah, I was a pastor's son. My son's a pastor's son, and, uh, I mean, at least you had food to eat. We did. We'd go on Tuesdays across the railroad tracks to a place called Pronto. This was a thrift shop, because on Tuesday, between, I think it was 4 and 6 p.m., you could buy one bag of everything you can fit in there for a dollar. And so we'd go in there, my mom would come in there, and she'd put in all the stuff she could get in there. It was like, yes, we can get that. I remember... One time running around the house, or not the house, the block, and they had shoes for free. Someone put like a sign that said, for free. So I went there, I took them, and I'm like, man, I got some new some new kicks. And everyone made fun of me at school. You didn't call them kicks back then, They were, they were terrible. They were Sneakers. Terrible. They were horrible. And people made fun of me. They're like, where do you get those? And I'm like, oh, I got them for free. They're like, they look terrible. They look like oh, they were for no. free. It's like, hey, How do you say free in Spanish? Gratis? Gratis. 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 Now, this next paragraph for me was incredible. Mm. Because, and I'm going to read this, I'm going to put emphasis on certain words here. Judas had joined the disciples when the multitudes were following Christ. The Savior's teaching moved their hearts as they hung entranced upon his words, spoken in the synagogue, by the seaside, upon the mount. Now watch this. 
Judas saw the sick, the lame, the blind mm. flock to Jesus from the towns and cities. He saw the dying laid at his feet. He witnessed the Savior's mighty works in healing the sick, casting out devils and raising the dead. He felt in his own person the evidence of Christ's power. He recognized mm. the teaching of Christ as superior to all that he had ever heard. He loved the great teacher mm. and desired to be with him. He felt a desire to be changed in character and life. He hoped to experience this through connecting himself with Jesus. Uh, then she says the Savior did not repulse Jesus. So this is fascinating. He saw, he saw, he witnessed, he felt, he recognized, he mm -hmm. felt, he hoped, he loved. Okay, mm. do you know how I summarize all of that? Mm. Judas had an experience with Jesus. Mm. And a positive one. Judas had a positive experience with Jesus. He was there. He was present. He felt the feelings that the others felt. He saw the things. That, when the seven, when, when Jesus sent the 70 out, when he sent the 12 out two by two, and they went out casting out demons and ministering and announcing, Judas was one of those mm. 12. Mm. He had an experience with Jesus. Mm. And to think that he ended up where he ended up, I mean, mm. this chapter ends in an extremely dark place mm. for a guy who had had that kind of first-hand experience mm. with Jesus, he felt, he saw, he witnessed, mm. he hoped, he loved. Mm -hmm. This is a warning. Yeah. This chapter is a warning to us. Yeah, it's very interesting you mentioned that because in the first paragraph, there's two, those two last words of the first paragraph, sacred trust. trust. This idea of a trust, like someone, like the trust fund baby, you know, someone has given you a large sum of money and you're in charge of making sure that it lasts. Mm. And and all those words are there. You know, he was honored of God. He it, it later on describes him as an evangelist, a minister, yeah. sacred trust. There's a whole chapter there that we read earlier. He ordained twelve. So I just thought you could you could paraphrase that he ordained Judas. Judas. So Judas would have been an ordained minister. Yeah, you can personalize it. Very good. Very good. And and the idea here is in that same paragraph. It says, but Judas did not come to the point of surrendering himself mm. yeah. fully to Christ. Mm. Double underline. Double, same, same, mm. double underline. Mm. So there's a partial surrender. Mm. There is a provisional willingness. There's an openness. He was willing to let Jesus in some of the rooms of his life, mm. into some of the chambers of his heart, mm. but not all of them. Mm. Mm. And one of the ones that he didn't want him in was the one that had greed yep. and a love of money. And you get the sense again and again, and we'll get to this, that Judas had a very high opinion of, what word am I going to say here? himself himself mm. yeah she says that nine times in this mm. chapter nine times she makes the point expressly he thought of himself he thought of himself and it's always highly he thought of himself as smarter he thought of himself as wiser he thought that everybody else without him would just be a train wreck mm. and so he let jesus into some of those rooms into some of those compartments but not all of them mm. So what stood out to me, too, in that paragraph with the double underlines was that Christ gives us, gives me, all a chance. It's what we do with it that reveals our character. Beautiful. And I was also reminded of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all evil, which, while some stretching after, have been seduced away from the faith, like Judas, seduced away from the faith. Very good. And have pierced themselves with many, many sorrows. sorrows. And we know that mm. he faced... Yeah, I, it seems very likely to me that Paul has Judas in mind when he said, that's 1 Timothy 6.10, is that yes. right? Yes. Mm. And, and the better translation of that is not that the love of money is the root of all evil, mm -hmm. but a lot of the modern translations say the love of money is the root of all kinds mm. of evil. Mm. 
That's good. Right? It, it, it creates all kinds of problems, including, but not limited to, a willingness to, you know, sell out the Lord of glory for one of these little things. Hmm. I mean, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. So he had an experience with Jesus. Now, look at that next paragraph. Judas was highly regarded by the disciples and had great influence over them. And this is the first time she says it here. He himself had a high opinion mm. of his own qualifications and looked upon his brethren as greatly inferior to him in judgment and ability. She then goes on to sort of say that when he saw Peter, he thought this. And when he saw John, he thought this. Yeah. And when he saw even Jesus, he thought this. And when he saw Matthew, he thought this. And then she summarizes this chapter by saying, Thus Judas summed up all the disciples and flattered himself, that's mm. the second time, mm-hmm that the church would often be brought into perplex into perplexity and embarrassment if it were not for his ability as a manager. Judas regarded himself as the capable one who could not be overreached. In his own estimation, he was an honor to the cause. So she says it like four times here. Up to this point in the chapter, he thought of himself, he thought of himself, he thought of himself. And I really like that emphasis, how Judas just sort of looked down on all the other disciples. There's this great quotation from C.S. Lewis. It's a slight paraphrase, but he says, when we're looking down on others, we can't be looking up to God. Mm. Mm. When we're looking down on others, we can't be looking up to God. And Judas missed an opportunity, even though he was in the presence of Jesus, even though he had an experience with him, he was too busy, she says, summing up all the other disciples Mm. and their weaknesses, their frailties, their idiosyncrasies, their flat sides, and imagining himself like the Pharisee in Jesus' mm-hmm. parable mm-hmm. as fundamentally different from everyone mm-hmm. else. And you know what I wrote in the margin here? Mm. I wrote, I've done this. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I've done that where I've just looked at people and I've looked at situations and I've thought, man, if I was in that situation, I would handle that situation way better. Mm. If I was there, I would have, why didn't they? And it's very easy to put yourself into a situation and imagine that you would have had the wisdom mm-hmm. or the courage or the skill mm. or the ability to handle something in a better way. And Judas was continually doing that. But, you know, something that I was thinking about, like we, we knock on Judas and, and probably rightfully so. Yeah. But I'm just wondering if Judas, if, if you looked at it objectively, had kind of reasons for him to feel a little bit better. Okay. So uh, I was reading and apparently Judas was originally from Jerusalem. He's the okay. only of the 12 that's not from out there in the country okay so he's thinking like, like these guys are country bumpkins i mean they don't know anything like like and he's a scribe so that means that he's probably one of the few if not the only one that can read and write he's literate he's literate um we see later on in the chapter that he's described as tall it actually says his tall form you know mm-hmm. leaves the, the building so probably physically imposing so i'm just wondering like maybe in his mind and maybe as a fact there were some advantages that he had and it also describes that some of the other disciples looked at him, looked up to him, as someone who had influence, right? Someone that mm-hmm. that was that was intelligent, that was smart, highly regarded, great influence. So it was it would have been hard for him not to view himself as something a little bit better if, in public opinion and by his own estimation, he had some advantages that others didn't. I love what you say there. And Judas, if we read into this correctly, is the one that was in charge of the money, mm. right? He was in, because it actually says that mm-hmm. back in the uh, story of Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. The disciples probably thought, you know, we're just entering into their world. And I love what you've mm-hmm. done there, Johnny, trying to understand why Judas might have thought of himself that way. And the reason that the disciples might have thought of him that way. If Judas is put in trust with the money, that's a position of significant responsibility. Mm-hmm. The disciples probably thought among themselves, oh, well, Judas was given that responsibility because he's he's the best of us. Mm-hmm. He's He's 
quite smart, he's intelligent, he's, but in fact we learn that the reason, the reason that Jesus put Judas in charge of the money was not because he was a cut above, but so that he could see how meager the money was mm-hmm. and that as the money was doled out for ministry needs, yeah. he would have an opportunity for his heart to be broken. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually, it was the reverse mm-hmm. of what the disciples would have assumed. They would have thought, oh yeah, yeah well, I mean, he, of course, it's Judas. He's the guy. Mm-hmm. He's going to be the treasury. He's the smartest in the group. But Jesus actually says, no, the reason that I put Judas in charge is so that he can see we're not getting rich, we're not trying to get rich, mm. and we use our money to help those in need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Isn't that fascinating? Mm-hmm. Whoo! Yeah, that's a, okay. Okay, that's good. Yeah, you got anything there, Hannah? I didn't want to cut you off. Oh no, you're good. So I have the next, the next, the next little. Next thing. paragraph. I just want to highlight that she says, and this is uh, she says this twice. Judas was blinded yep. to mm-hmm. to his own weakness of character. Character, and, and you know. In fairness, Johnny, let's do what you just did. We all are blind to our weaknesses yes, of character. Okay. That is not something that is unique or, you know, proprietarily yeah. Judas's. We all are blind to our own defects of character, which is why, are you ready for this? Mm. This is one of my big takeaways from this chapter. Mm. Why? It's why we need authentic community. Mm. It's true. We need brothers and sisters to say, hey, um, David, I, can I talk to you about something? Can, and pull us aside and grab us by the ear and mm. say, hey, I, I, don't think you, I don't think you handled that mm. situation in the best way. I think mm. that you didn't put forward the characteristics of Jesus. I'm worried about this aspect of your life. I remember years ago, I heard my good friend Scott Moore preaching a sermon, and he told this, this uh, sort of parable slash uh, saying that was found in uh, a certain African context and village. And what was happening was is that people would get up early. Everybody in the in the town were followers of Jesus. It was a Christian town. And uh, they would get up in their crowded homes, often multi-generational mm-hmm. homes, and they would wander off into the to the wilderness to have their time mm-hmm. with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they would they had their own little spot. Maybe it was a near a brook or it okay. was at a rock or it was by a tree. They all had their own little spot that they would go to. And they walked that path every day. And so it became a well-worn path. But if someone hadn't been walking on their path, grass would start to overgrow mm. it. And the proverb would be, brother, I'm worried about you. There's grass on your path. Well, <laughs> there's grass on your path. Yeah. We need people in our community, people in our friends and our circles to say, hey, you know, Hannah, I think there might be some grass on your path. Well, I'm looking at what someone, Chuck Baby, I think that's how yeah. you say it. Um, had said the word accountability, and I was thinking of that. I mean, I also wrote like a little prayer. Sometimes I write little prayers while Let's I'm hear reading it. this. Let's hear it. Um, at times, I am blinded to my own weaknesses. Mm. Lord, please reveal them to me. And sure enough, God answers through this guy. Amen. A spouse <laughs> is a great thing. He is, he is my accountability partner, whether I adhere to it at times or not. Or sometimes I'm stubborn and just kicking and screaming. But I, I like to process things. So if he'll like, you know, check me on certain things, I'll like, okay, you know what? Maybe he was right about this. But, you know, when we take time to just kind of just you know, remove self from the equation and we just listen and, you know, when we listen to that, mm. so it helps us to be aware of our own weaknesses and our blind, we all have blind spots. Like, Correct. So. Which is why we need community. Mm. And, yep. and check this out. Tell me if you guys go with me on this. If, if you don't, that's okay. But this is my take on it. Because Judas was, as we just read a moment ago, often summing up the disciples, looking down on them, perceiving himself as a cut above, he never entered into the full authentic community that was available to him among the 12. Mm. Mm. So he was not, even though he was present with the 12, internally he was not having 
the same experience that the others were having because he always perceived mm-hmm. himself as a mm-hmm. cut above, mm-hmm. a little better than, a little yeah. more than. Yeah, yeah. And you know what happened? He sabotaged himself yep. because he didn't end up with that very accountability and community that could have said, mm-hmm. Judas, there's some grass on your path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need community. We do. Go ahead, John. And I think that's the challenge, particularly for anyone who's involved in ministry. Mm, because your job as a minister is to check on the welfare of others and to, to maybe see that they're doing well and that you know they're doing the things that they need to to stay on the path. But who's checking you? Who's Correct. checking on, on your health? And are you yourself going on and, and asking for that accountability so that, that we can you know examine it? And I think when I read that word sacred tr- trust, I thought of the Zach, the Ravi Zacharias situation. It's yes, like, hey, preach. you're too busy telling everyone else mm-hmm. what they could and should be believing in or not believing yes. in. Yes, that no one is there to to basically hold. Physician, heal prayer. thyself. Yeah, physician, heal thyself. I mean, that's a great point. In ministry, we often find ourselves being the custodians of other people's mm. spiritual health, but we need people to help us be custodians of our own spiritual mm-hmm. health. We need community. Mm. We need the church. This is why the Bible says in, what is it, Hebrews 10, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Mm. I think it's around verse Mm. 24, 25, Mm -hmm. 26. Um, Then we get that word might again, right in the middle of that chapter. In ministering to others, Judas might have developed an unselfish spirit, but while listening daily to the lessons of Christ and witnessing his unselfish life, Judas indulged indulged his covetous disposition. That, that word indulged reminds me of the word fostered. Foster. Come on, give me some. <laughs> the word fostered, right? The idea that, that he l- liked this sin. Mm. He fed this sin. Mm. He fostered this sin. He indulged this sin of greed. What are we feeding our sins? What are we feeding? Are we feeding our sins or are we starving our sins? Mm. So check this out. I, I don't know what you think of this idea. Let me, let me t- tell me if you like what I'm cooking here. If you're smelling yeah, 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 yeah. Go. So I tried to write some parallels of Judas and food. Talking about feeding, right? I, I, I don't know if I told you about yeah, this. Okay. Judas so, and food? Yeah, yeah, Judas and food. I'm a little nervous so, about where this, this is out. going. Okay. So Judas is drawn by the feeding of the 5,000. And Ellen White says he was the first to take advantage of the enthusiasm excited by the miracle of the Lord. Yeah, to make him king. So it was like, oh man, he can feed people. Then um, the turning point for the life of Judas has to do with food. Christ's discourse in the synagogue concerning the bread of life was the turning point in the history of Judas. Right, except you eat food. the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You got no life in you. And that's when Judas was like, Yo, forget <laughs> this, man. This, this guy's guy is... all about the spiritual stuff. I wanted the real physical I stuff. I want this guy on the throne of David. She even says he wanted he wanted Jesus to have an aggressive warfare. That's right. That's right. Woo! And then the other two times that you see Judas in somewhere in with the food situation is where he's exposed twice. Right, with Simon the leper in a kind of subtle, the feast at Simon's house. The feast, yeah. The feast there, the whole thing that's happening there, there's food and everyone's, and he's just looking down at Mary and he's like, what? And then finally, they're at the Last Supper. The Last Supper, wow. So his, basically his lack of self-control and a thirst, lust, and appetite for the things of this world were his ultimate downfall. He fed that, Mm. he fed it, like you said, he fostered it, he indulged it, and ultimately he ate it. And it, and it ended up killing him. Mm. That is so fascinating, John, that each of those sort of moments, those cameo moments in so Judas' good. life, do revolve around food. Yep. That, that's fascinating. L- lack of control of, of appetite. Mm. And it could be, 
it doesn't necessarily even have to be a physical like for food itself but in this case you know it had to do yeah there is money. something there is something really interesting feeding him like you said the indulgence the fostering yeah 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 yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He just he was just feeding that thing until ultimately it ended up eating him up mm. and, he, and he loses his life that's good babe yeah great job very good um Johnny, going off what you just said, that next paragraph, uh, Christ's oft-repeated statement that his kingdom was not of this world offended Judas, and listen to this sentence, mm. he had marked out a line upon which he expected Christ to work. Mm. He had a script, mm. he had a plan, mm, mm, mm. and uh, Messiah was going to follow that, and mm -hmm. he was steering Jesus insofar as it was possible, like the feeding of the 5,000, ah, oh, this is our moment, mm. yeah. the moment was lost. And then the feeding, uh, or excuse me, the John 6, after the feeding mm -hmm. of the 5,000, where he scares all these people off, Judas would have yeah. thought, ooh, bad move. Yeah, yeah, how Bad move, Jesus. We just had him. And Eve, exactly, we had, we had all that momentum and Jesus missed it. And he doesn't think that Jesus is acting strategically in doing this. He thinks Jesus is miscalculating. Yeah. Like, oh, he missed a chance there. Yeah. If he could only learn how to read like me and be as smart and intelligent as me, <laughs> If he, he had the out. insight that I have, the perspicacity, perspicacity that I have. And then the other thing, how about this? When Judas betrays Jesus, he actually believes that he is forwarding the opportunity for Jesus to manifest his power. So she says here again that even when he did the, the, the 30 pieces of silver, he, he thought it was a shrewd bargain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That he, he really fancied himself as a, as a mover and shaker, as a, as a person who could discern long-range plans, mm -hmm. make deals. He literally believed and she actually says this, that he was wiser than Jesus in terms of this like strategic planning and getting Jesus on the throne of David. Mm. It's incredible. I, I thought that was very interesting how he like thinks he's farsighted. He has keen intellect. He can see yeah. into the future. But what's interesting is that Jesus is the one that can see into the future. And he's, he's seen beyond his actions there into his ultimate demise. So that these, these terrible decisions that he's making, Jesus is actually reading into his life. Kind of like that whole Simon motif. The Simon, reversal. Simon thinks he's reading Jesus, but Jesus is actually reading him. Reading yeah. him. Judas thinks he's smart, and he's like, yeah, I can see the things that Jesus can't see, but Jesus is actually seeing. He's reading He's it. reading him. Well, that, that reversal just made me think of the chapter that we just had where when Jesus is in the court, and then he mm. uses the Danielic language mm. to purposefully announce a reversal. You mm. think it's this, but it's actually this. Just like with Peter. I mean, I wrote down, which we could talk about later, but it reminds me a little bit of uh, like how Peter you know, interacted and how like, Peter was convicted in different ways. So similar, but, but different. But, you know, even from the last chapter, we talked about Peter um, in regards to like his encounter with, with Christ after mm. he had, you know, betrayed him or denied him rather. Yeah. And we see how he handled that versus how Judas Correct. handled that. So we'll, we'll look at that a little bit later. No, but I, I really like your point there because remember in the foot washing service, I highlighted that the response of Judas and the response of Peter initially to, to Jesus mm -hmm. washing their feet was very similar. Mm. They thought, what? This is degrading. This is humiliating. But then, but, but remember that line, but Peter could not bear the idea of being separated from his Lord. Mm. That's why he said, okay, my hands on my head also. Mm. Where Judas had already covenanted, had already agreed to forsake Jesus and to betray him. And so he, the idea of being separated from him was not this like unbearable thought. Mm. I mean, it was also mentioned too, I think in the last chapter where, um, what is it? Peter like re realized that Christ knew him better than he knew himself. Himself. And so we talked about the perspicacity with the keen vision, but no, Christ knew Judas more than he better than he knew himself. 
Remember that line there where it mm -hmm. says Peter thought that he would, oh, yeah. I'll go, I will die for you. Mm -hmm. I'll go, whatever. And then she says, but Peter didn't know himself. Mm -hmm. Judas didn't know himself either. But unlike Peter, Judas was willing to separate himself from Jesus. And there again, no accountability, mm -hmm. no community, no one to say there's grass on your path. Mm. You know, a little comment uh, on that thing. We were talking about this, and you remember when the disciples were, were in Gethsemane and they were sleeping, and it said they all slept. I was just thinking to myself, the only one that didn't sleep was Judas, because Judas was busy getting ready to sell Jesus. He was, he was, he was awake. He was mm. active, but he was planning. He yeah. was planning, strategizing in the night. But he was separated. So the other guys, even though they were asleep, at least they were near Jesus. So yeah, that's a great point, because the 11 are all there. Judas is off doing whatever. Judas is off, yeah, yeah, okay, so here's where he's going to be, yeah. and we'll approach yeah. from this angle, and, and he's going to be in Gethsemane, the one that I kiss. That's kiss. a great point. Mm -hmm. He's he's up, but he's not praying. He's scheming. He's praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G. Oh, that's a good that. one. He's not that's praying. Good. He's praying. He's praying. Okay, so then uh, I'm all the way down at the paragraph that begins, notwithstanding the Savior's own yep. teaching. Are we all there? Yeah. Judas was continually advancing the idea that Christ would reign as king in Jerusalem. Mm. Uh, and then this is the part about the feeding of the 5,000. She says he was the one. But then look at what she says there in the middle of that paragraph. He had an opportunity to yeah. see the benefit. Uh, which what which it was in his power to impart to others. He felt the satisfaction that always comes in the service to God. He helped to bring the sick and suffering from among the multitude to Christ. He saw what relief, what joy and gladness come to human hearts through the healing power of the restorer. He might have, have mm. comprehended mm. the methods of Christ, mm. but he was what? Blinded. blinded. Mm. So the second time she says, he was blinded and he might have been something. And then how about that last sentence in that paragraph? His hopes were high. His disappointment was bitter. Mm. Mm. He really believed, you know, it was it was the mother of James and John that came and said, hey, can one sit on the right, one on the left? Judas never doubted for a moment that he would occupy the highest position. In fact, she even says that when Jesus manifested his power, as this is in Judas's sort of, you know, mm. his imagination, mm. Mm. when Jesus manifests, manifests his power and doesn't allow himself to be taken in, that all of this would be a big thanks and a big credit to Judas. Oh, Judas, you're the one. Good. good for you. Good thinking, man. You outsmarted all of us. I mean, Judas thinks he's outsmarting not only the 11, but Jesus himself. Yeah. As if you could. Yeah. And he, but he really does think that yeah. he is in some weird way. And it just goes to show the deceptive power of the human heart. Mm. In doing evil, he thinks he's doing good. Mm. That's, you can right, isn't it Malachi that says, what are those that call evil good and good evil? Mm. You know, that, that last phrase, his disappointment was bitter. Over and over in the previous chapters, we've always seen Jesus disappointing people's hopes and dreams. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's dashing their, their dreams. And it says his disappointment was bitter. I do wonder sometimes, like, could it be that he was so bitterly disappointed that he'd rather not be alive uh, and take his own life if he's not going to be the top dog? If he's not going to be number one, Life is not worth living, so I'll take my life. You know what? There's a, it's entirely possible that someone with uh, more skill and more expertise in this area could go through and sort of read this chapter on Judas and the other things that we have about him in Revelation. Mm. It might be able to ascertain if he had something that we would diagnose today as like narcissistic personality mm. disorder. Mm. Mm. Right? Like yeah. where if I can't be everything, I'll be nothing. Ooh, that's it. That's it. Mm. If that's I it. can't be the top, I don't want to be. Wild. I won't exist. Yeah. I won't exist. Um, mm. Christ's discourse in the synagogue concerning the bread of life was the turning point. Mm. 
Um, same paragraph there. He regarded himself as far-sighted. Mm. I'm moving along. Let me know. Oh, okay. How about the paragraph that begins from that time? Mm. You know what I, you know, yeah. look what I wrote right here. Look at what I wrote right here. I'll show it to the, everybody first. I wrote right there, satanic sounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you notice yeah. how this yep. paragraph, you could literally almost insert the word Satan yep, yep, in this yep. paragraph. I put cunning. I mean, it, it, this literally yeah. describes Satan. It's a mm -hmm. long paragraph. Yeah. But, Johnny, you, you're such a good reader. Can I put you right on the spot sure. to read that right there? Which one do you want me to do? Just read this paragraph right here. Okay. Now, as he's reading this, I want you to be thinking about the Luciferian rebellion described in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 and Revelation 12 and Genesis 3. I mean, just think about it and, and read this chapter. From See? that time, he expressed doubts that confused the disciples. He instructed... He introduced controversies and misleading sentiments, repeating the arguments urged by the scribes and Pharisees against the claims of Christ. All the little and large troubles and crosses, the difficulties and the apparent hindrances to the advancement of the gospel, Judas interpreted as evidences against its truthfulness. He would, he would introduce texts of scripture that had no connection with the truths of, that Christ was presenting. Hmm. These texts separated from their connection perplexed the disciples, and increased the discouragement that was constantly pressed upon them. Let me put on my glasses. See what happens when you get old? Don't get old. All right, here he goes. <laughs> Yet all this was done by Judas in such a way as to make it appear that he was conscientious. Mm. And while the disciples were searching for evidence to confirm the words of the great teacher, Judas would lead them almost imperceptibly on another track. Mm. Thus, in a very religious and apparently wise way, he was presenting matters in a different light from that in which Jesus had given them, and attaching to his words a meaning that he had not conveyed. His <laughs> suggestions were constantly exciting an ambitious desire for temporal preferment, and thus turning the disciples from the important things they should have considered. The dissension, wow. the dissension as to which of them should be the greatest was generally excited by none other than Judas. That sounds Luciferian. Yep. It's, if, if you have ever read the very first chapter in the Conflict of the Ages series, mm -hmm. it's called Why Was Sin Permitted? And you read Ellen White's description of the Luciferian Rebellion. It sounds like that. Under the pretense of piety, under the pretense of you know a sincere religiosity, he would confuse minds. He, and he always had a larger goal in mind, but he didn't, didn't ever let on to what the larger goal was. It was always subtle it was suggestive it was confusing i mean and then oh check this out check this out check this out if you jump down to the next paragraph which yeah. begins when jesus and then to the paragraph after that we'll come back in just a second but in all and then the next paragraph begins in all that christ said to his disciples look at this jump down about three sentences <laughs> the disciples did not see the real agency in all this by the way yeah. i wrote this satanic sounding before i read this so i wrote down sounds like satan sounds like satan and look at this but Jesus yep. saw that Satan was communicating his attributes to Judas. Yeah. I literally wrote down satanic sounding in the margin. And then two paragraphs later, she's like, yeah, the reason is that all of these sort of subtle, suggestive, undermining attributes of Satan's character. Remember, the first thing that we learn mm -hmm. about him in Genesis 3 is that he's subtle. Yep. Mm -hmm. And he causes doubt. And he causes doubt. And I like how she says that he would purposely bring up passages of scripture that had no bearing random, on the stuff. Yeah. Just like some random thing to, and the disciples were like, ah. To sound. It, like it was a while back. I don't, I don't want to give any details on this, but sometime in the fairly, like last year, 
I was in a Sabbath school class that was so bad, but the person was actually quite intelligent. Like I was there and the person was obviously an intelligent person, but the way they led Sabbath school was so, it didn't, I mean, like I consider myself to be a fairly logical person. I can reason from A to B and B to C and C to D. Mm. And I was just like, and then it dawned on me, this person is showing off. Mm. And I don't mean like, and I don't want to judge and say that they're, but like they were, they were letting the Sabbath school class kn- know that they knew a lot about scripture, but there was no like line of thought. There was no, no involvement of other people. It wasn't cohesive. It wasn't, it was like, and I think Judas probably did that kind yeah, of thing. Where just, just to sort of, you know, flex the muscle a little bit be like, Hey, I know stuff. And then the people were like, uh, wh- what's, what does that, what do you, what does that have to do with yeah. what we're talking about here? <laughs> Where Jesus would be like, um, so there was a farmer. And he went and planted some seeds. You know, like just simple. Yeah. Jesus wasn't showing off. And I think Judas was often exercising his own literacy, to mm. use your point earlier, mm. John. You know, one other thing that I was just thinking, you, you know how you, you mentioned that it, it's shades of Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. But I also thought of shades of the mixed multitude. Okay, come and, on. And, and the reason why I thought about that is, um, they join themselves. You know, you, you remember how Judas comes I know in. where you're going. And, and they're like, yeah, where are we going, guys? Well, we're going to go across it. Oh, you got all that stuff from the Egyptians. Can we go too? They were kind of like with them, but they were not of them. Yeah. So they kind of just say, hey. Johnny, just in case anybody that's chiming in here or listening in here is not familiar with that language, the mixed multitude, give us the 30 second. Who is the mixed multitude? So the mixed multitude is in the Exodus, a group of people that were not Jews, that mm-hmm. were likely, I think, mostly Egyptians. Egyptian or but other they were, foreigners. But they were just other foreigners that weren't part of the of the Hebrews nation. And they just said, we're, wherever we're going, well, let's go ahead. There's a huge crowd of people. And I guess if we do that Old Testament, we might go over that stuff. So the, this is this is the mixed multitude, the people that joined to the Exodus to leave. Um, can, uh, and you're saying there's similarities here between the mixed multitude, those and, that were kind of along for the ride. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And Judas. And they joined themselves. That's right. That's right. And they they wanted the temporal goods, but they were always the first ones to be displeased and raise contention. Mm. So Ellen White expressively says there, I think it's in Patriarchs and Prophets, that when it came to the the calf situation, it was the mixed multitude. They were like, yeah, you know. This guy, Moses, we don't know when he's coming back. Yeah, he hasn't been here for a round. So there's that idea of, you know, people that are not really part of it, but they kind of like the idea. They yeah. like the gift, but they don't like the giver. And they like the, the gold, but they don't like God. Mm. There's they some good things that he has, and they want that, but they're not really sure about the other stuff. So they're the first ones to kind of bail out, to be contentious, to be accusing, and, and sometimes bring bad I saw somebody say there that they wish that they could record this. So it is recorded. If you're not aware, I have a YouTube channel and uh, it's there on the YouTube channel. David Asherick, just just look it up and uh, you can you can get the whole thing there. It's archived. Yeah, great point about the And also the joining too. Remember, Jesus said, I I chose all of you except one devil. Right. And uh, Ellen White even makes the suggestion earlier, we've already covered this, but when the disciple came to Jesus and said, Jesus, let me follow you, but I first have to go bury my father. Mm. And when he said, birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the son of man doesn't even have a place to sleep. Mm. That, she says that was Judas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She said that was Judas. Yep. And, and Jesus was trying to talk Judas out mm. of following him because he knew that the motives were tied, even in a way to a, even to a greater degree than the other 11, to his hope of material and national prosperity and popularity. 
is it's it's fascinating. And that's fascinating. what she calls him a devil. She said one of you is a and devil. And you see that with the twelve tribes of Israel, mm. right? Dan, the tribe of Dan, which was the backbiting, mm. the accusatory spirit, the one that didn't let God be the judge. Daniel means God is my judge, but Dan was just Dan. They were just mm. the judge. They were the ones that were always picking the oh, negative things, the side side. They were like, oh yeah, this is wrong and this is wrong. And if you would do it this way, then things would work out. And at the end, when you look in the book of Revelation, Dan is not there. And Dan's not Dan's like, mentioned. Yo, we we can't have that. That's a good point you make about the difference between Daniel. Mm. God is my judge and just Dan which is judge I'm the judge I get to tell you guys where you guys are wrong I'm smarter than you I know more Um, did I skip over anything there Hannah that you had an interest in in any of those paragraphs are you happy to keep moving along keep keep moving along how about that line there and we just mentioned it briefly but but in these things he thought himself wiser than Christ Mm. didn't you underline that Mm. where's that one oh yeah Uh, I circled that and even Wiser than Christ, but specifically with regards to the (laughs) principles and methods about how to best achieve Mm. Jesus' success and popularity. He thought he was more for, you know, he had greater perspicacity, greater Mm. awareness. He could look into Mm. the future and sort of discern. And he thought, man, if these guys would just take my advice, I could have Jesus on the throne of David tomorrow. I could have Jesus on the throne of David by tomorrow evening. But man, way, Jesus guys, is making all of these strategic errors and blunders. He just needs to follow my example. Listen to me. Look, I'm from Jerusalem. I can read. I'm more attractive. Look, all you guys respect me. Like, I, I could hook you guys up. Yeah. I'll set it up. But no, you guys want to do it your way? I'll let you do it your way. Um, okay, so then she says again in that same paragraph that I was just reading from, the one that begins in all that Christ had said to his disciples. Mm-hmm. This is 844 of Types and Symbols, 720 of the original. Right in the middle of that, she says... He made no outward murmur, that's Judas made no outward murmur, until the time of the feast in Simon's house. So this is now the second time that she's saying something about what happened at Simon's feast irked, upset, Mm -hmm. angered Judas, and he began to think, man, this guy, and he started thinking about his options. Mm -hmm. He knew that Jesus was powerful. I mean, there's no question mm-hmm. Judas had seen the, the miracles and the feeding of the 5,000 and the mm. healings. He knew that he was powerful, mm. but he just thought he wasn't savvy. He wasn't street smart, mm-hmm. you know, and he needed a little nudge. And uh, something about what happened there at Simon's feast mm. made him think, you know what? I got to pour a little gasoline on this fire. I got to make this happen. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. And then that line there, this was a really haunting line to me. Uh, This is the paragraph that begins, yet Judas made no open opposition. Jump down to the end of that, toward the end. This will be the experience of everyone who persists in tampering Tampering. with sin. The elements of depravity Mm. that are not resisted and overcome respond to Satan's temptation, and then the soul is led captive at as well. So now we've talked about what? Fostering. Fostering. And what was our Indulging. And now tampering. Friends, these are three things you don't want to do with sin. You don't want to foster it. You don't want to indulge it, and you don't want to tamper with it. Johnny, go ahead. No, no, no. That's, just, that's powerful, man. The, the idea of tampering, it has the connotation of touching it, you know? Mm. One is kind of indulging it, fostering. So if you notice, there's proximity that's taking place to sin, right? So you're kind of fostering it, but you're a foster child. Maybe it's not your child. You're indulging it. Maybe you're mm-hmm. flirting a little bit more. And then tampering has this idea of the tactile component of like now you're now you're really getting close to it, and, and it's almost kind of forbidden. Like you tamper with something, it's like eh, probably shouldn't be. And for, what do you got for us? Well, give, for, give us some female wisdom here. Sure, Sam. we need some female wisdom. Going back to the word, so I, I was thinking of Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse five, which talks about 
casting down imaginations um, every high going thing. down and bringing into captivity every mm. thought to the obedience of Christ. Preach. And why I thought about that was because it said, and the soul is left captive at his will, at Satan's will. Mm. So who are we allowing to, you know, capture our thoughts? Mm. I mean, Satan tends to like, you know, speak little words of things that are not true, causing doubt and misinterpreting the scriptures. And once we, you know, allow our thoughts to be captive, to the obedience of Christ. Come on now. Then we won't be like tampering with sin. We won't, you know, subject ourselves to to this and, you know, fall for evil. Good. That's very Romans 6, isn't it? Where we're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. Mm -hmm. We're either captive here or we're captive here. Mm -hmm. You know, it would have sounded a little weird to a lot of the people to whom Paul was writing when Paul says, a slave of the Messiah. Like, Mm -hmm. who wants to be a slave? Mm -hmm. Who wants to be a captive? But when, when we give our lives to God, he gives us back our lives yes. in freedom. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Mm. And so I love your point there, Hannah, about how we can either be captive to Christ or we can be captive to sin. Yep. And captivity to sin is bondage and yes. death. Mm. But captivity to Christ is he releases us. Yes. Right? Yeah. This is the Exodus. Mm-hmm. Right? I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I bore you on mm. eagle's wings, man. Mm. Set you free. Mm. Freedom. Free to be free. So if we're to be enslaved, we should be enslaved to Christ. And then how about that paragraph there? Judas was not entirely hardened. Mm. Even after he had twice pledged himself to betray the Savior, there was an opportunity for repentance. At the Passover supper, Jesus proved his divinity by revealing the traitor's purpose. He tenderly, there's that important word that Ellen White uses over and over again in reference to Mm. Jesus' personality. He tenderly included Judas in the ministry to the disciples. But the last appeal of love was unheeded. Then the case of Judas was decided, and the feet that Jesus washed went forth to the betrayer's work. That's good. So that's I wrote good down, writing. So I so just a little Go, background girl. of myself. So I live in Barron Springs, but I'm from I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. So you guys. Oh, you Brooklyn? guys are both New Yorkers. Of course. That's cool. why okay, don't, don't make fun of how I pronounce words. No, I actually was noticing. I like that accent. But I was born in the beautiful island of Trinidad. Um, so for those Caribbean, hello. Um, Can you do like a thick Caribbean accent? Yes, not now though. (laughs) Um, so there's a phrase that we use when people, you know, are are just wrong. So we say you're wrong and strong, you know, so, so Judas was like, he was wrong and strong in every sense of the word, you know, he had pride, his stubbornness. And I wrote down every warning has an expiration date. Ooh. So like it says the last appeal of love was unheeded. Mm. And even when Christ gives us warning, to me when I look at warning from Christ, I don't look at it, you know, like, ooh, warning. Ah. I look at it as love. He's giving us an opportunity. And Christ gave to this opportunity after opportunity, but yet he didn't take heed. He was wrong and strong. He brother was wrong and strong. Wow. Mm. I love what you just said that that's so smart about how every warning has a how did you say that? Every warning has an expiration date. Mm. Johnny, that's good. It's good. It's good. good. That's so good. This idea of like, God doesn't just warn you, but not give you time. He's like, hey, I'm going to give you multiple opportunities, time after time after time. I mean, he doesn't destroy a nation without giving it a warning. And and we've noted already in DAWTA again and again that there's a big difference between a threat and a warning. Yep. God is warning about what's coming. He's not threatening about what he's going to do. Mm. If you don't, then I will. I'm really angry and I'm going to kick your butt. What he's saying yeah. is, is, actually, Judas, this, and by the way, what ends up happening to Judas? And let me just skip to the end here a little bit. 
the judgment and the retribution that fall on Judas are not a product of something that Jesus did. Hmm. Jesus didn't do something to Judas. Judas did did something to Judas. Hmm. Who hung Judas? Judas hung Judas. Who betrayed? Judas betrayed. Who separated? Judas separated. Who went out into the night? Judas went out into the night. Jesus was the constant. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't change. His words didn't change. His attitude didn't change. His ministry didn't change. His his desire for Judas to achieve his potential didn't change. So all of what's happening is not something that God is doing to Judas. Mm. It's something that God is trying to prevent Judas from doing to Judas. And so if he says... Something really bad is going to happen here. That would be a warning about the path that you're on, not a threat that if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to get really angry and punish you. You see the difference there? That is how sin works. It's very interesting that he had a high view of himself and himself actually killed him. Like he killed himself. Well, I think your point earlier was an incredibly insightful point, Johnny, about how he either had to be the guy Mm -hmm. or not at all. Yeah. He would be, he had, well, I think what we would call today narcissistic personality disorder. And I think okay. part of it had to do with the fact that the other 11 were, even to the untrained eye, physically inferior to him. The fact that he was taller than them, it was just so easy for him to go along that path and just continue. But we his, still live. Uh, did you listen into Jen's, uh, when I was with Jen, and she talked yeah. about that height discrimination yeah. oh. thing? It's, that's still the world that we live in. We, we idolize people that are specimens, whether it's a LeBron James or a Muhammad Ali or, you know, uh, you know, these guys that are absolute physical specimens or like in the, with women, like the supermodels with all the right sizes and figures and curves. We think because they're stronger, faster, can jump higher, look better, more curvaceous, thinner thighs, whatever. We think, oh, they're better people. They're not better people. (laughs) They're just, that's just their genetics. They're not better people just because, but we look at people and we assume and employers assume and others assume that these physical characteristics are indicative of, Mm. and we do the opposite. If somebody's short or if somebody's bald or if somebody's funny looking or whatever, we tend to think less of them. Right. Mm. Remember, even in the presidential election, when uh, the, 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 the democratic primaries were happening, Donald Trump mm-hmm. was continually making fun of Bloomberg because he was short. And, it, and it, you know, Trump was always someone to, you know, overstate the case and, and to say things that were not particularly kind. But just the fact that he was making fun of him for something that Don, that Michael Bloomberg had no control over. I mean, I'm not even, that's not, I'm not speaking anti-Trump or pro-Bloomberg. I'm simply saying that is a manifestation of the point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, somebody's short. Well, then they're less than. Oh, somebody's tall and muscular and can jump really high and slam a basketball? They're more than. Yeah, yeah. No, sorry. So Judas would have, it would have been easy for him to have thought of himself as a cut above. So check this out. I don't know what you think of this. You I might like not this. like it or may, may not like it. I started to do a, a comparison and some of the differences between Judas and Zacchaeus. So tell me what you think about this. Okay, right? so we did Judas and food. Right. And now <laughs> we're doing <laughs> Judas and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Okay, let's hear. So while one was tall... Right? The other one was short. Okay. While one was well accepted by society, the other was shunned. But interestingly, they both longed and desired to see Jesus. You remember in the story of Zacchaeus? He, he wanted, wanted to, to see, see Jesus. Jesus. And we're seeing here that he would see all the miracles. And she describes this idea of, of Judas coming close to Christ. They both wanted to come to Christ. Both of them loved money, right? Both of them had this desire, you know, to have okay, financial. But both of them end up in a tree. I thought that was interesting. 
The tree was the ultimate turning point for, <laughs> for the two of them. While one met Jesus from the safety of a tree, the other one ultimately severed his connection with Jesus on a tree. One mm. came down and spent the night with Jesus, mm. while the other one went up, hung himself, and ended his existence. Mm. Wow. Good for you, Johnny. I, just, I was like, man, that's crazy. What was the thing that made you think about that comparison between Zacchaeus and... Well, the big one is just the, the they both were interested in money. Yeah. But the ending was so different, but they both had the tree in common. And I'm just wondering what, what Zacchaeus must have thought when he saw Jesus hung on a tree. And him thinking about the last time he had seen Jesus on a tree. Mm. And the fact that Jesus met him on a tree and, you know, transformed his no, life I on love a tree. That. And then you look at, at, at Judas and the people are walking by and they see his mangled body. and they It see reminds it. you of the Mosaic curse. Uh, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Mm. That's a really fascinating insight there. And it reminds me of Zacchaeus' response to Jesus. Remember, yeah. he received him with joy. Mm. And then he said, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Yeah. And then Zacchaeus stands up and says, Lord, if I've... Actually, this happens before Jesus said mm -hmm. salvation has come to mm -hmm. this house. Lord, if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I give him back 400%. Yes. Yeah. Johnny, only an honest person could say that. That's right. Yeah. Right? Like, like Judas looks honest, looks faithful, looks like he's a cut above, but he's actually dishonest. She even yeah. says in this chapter that at opportune times, he would pay himself a little something yeah, yeah, for yeah, a yeah. service that he had done. Or whatever. He had and then she says he thought that, you know, he was just being, you know shrewd and and uh, making you know wise decisions but she says god saw him as a thief yeah mm. that was a good one mm. but but zacchaeus must have been there was a turning point in his life where he was faithful mm. he had to have been honest in mm. fact did you notice that she says that that one of the critiques that judas had of levi matthew yeah was that levi matthew was honest i'm just going to stay yeah, back yeah, here yeah, yeah. Yeah. matthew whose training had taught him accuracy in all things he was a publican like yeah, zacchaeus yeah, yeah, yeah was very particular in regard to honesty. Mm. And she says that this was one of the critiques that Judas had of him. Ah, he's a little too he's a little honest. too honest, a little too particular, a little too careful and insistent about monetary matters, where Judas was a little looser about mm. it all. But yeah. he pretended to not be loose when Mary made the offering and what did mm. he say? Oh, this could have been given to the poor. Yeah. yeah. And now when he had a time to pay for Christ, he wouldn't even give a tenth of what she did. No. He wasn't worth that much to Christ. Come on now. What do you got, girl? We, we skipping anything for you here? No, we're good. We're good? Okay. So now we're on a page, I'm on page 846 of Types and Symbols, 721 of the original. Uh, oh, you know, I was going to actually have you read a paragraph, if sure. you would. Just go back one page, the, the page 845. Read us the paragraph right here. Judas reasoned that. This is page 845 okay. of Types and Symbols, 720 of the original. It's a short paragraph. G Judas reasoned, nice and loud for us. Judas reasoned that if Jesus was to be crucified, the event must come to pass. His own act in betraying the Savior would not change the result. If Jesus was not to die, it would only force him to deliver himself. At all events, Judas would gain something by his treachery. He counted that he had made a sharp bargain in betraying his Lord. That is some convoluted reasoning right there. It is. Twisted. It's, it's twisted. Because yeah. he's saying, well, I mean, he's already talking about he's going to be betrayed. He's going to go. He's going to be killed. So I'll yeah. facilitate it. And Judas believes that he won't actually let it happen. Mm -hmm. And so that is some crazy reasoning there. Yeah. I think part of it is his mind... He had this idea of himself that he had keen insights. So he's doing that, you know, Correct. Pascal's wager kind of, what's the worst thing that can happen? 
Well, the worst thing that happens is I get 30 pieces of silver, I get paid, and of course, we know Jesus has already been, you know, arrested other time where they try to get him, and he's going to let himself go. So I have nothing to lose, everything to gain, and it'll teach Jesus a lesson to know that, hey, I've got contacts too. I know people too. Yeah, That's a great that. point. He yeah. doesn't, he does not imagine, in fact, she's going to say here in just a little bit, that when Judas sees Jesus being bound and smitten and smacked mm -hmm. and abused, he says, what? He can't, she says a terrible fear comes over him. The whole plan is crumbling in front of him. But, but prior to that happening, he just thought, this is win-win. Yeah, I'm going to get yeah. the 30 pieces of silver, oh, a little side hustle over here. And either the plan will work or it won't. But he in no way imagines that things are going to go south like they did. The next paragraph is good, too. Okay, go, girl. Read it for us. Judas did not, that one. Judas did not, however, believe that Christ would permit himself to be arrested. Correct. In betraying him, it was his purpose to teach him a lesson. Whoa. That's disrespectful. That's that's not right. No. I put evil spirit. You see my emoji? Evil spirit. No, that's the evil spirit emoji. Yep. He intended to play a part that would make the Savior careful thenceforth to treat him with due respect. Whoa. But Judas knew not that he was giving Christ up to death. See, he didn't know. How often as a Savior taught in parables, the scribes and Pharisees had Pharisees had been carried away with his, his striking illustrations. How often they had pronounced judgment against themselves. Often when the truth was brought home to their hearts, they had been filled with rage and had taken up stones to cast at him. But again and again, I like when she does that yeah, repetitious yeah, yeah. stuff. He had made his escape. Since he had escaped so many snares, thought Judas, he was woefully ignorant, he certainly would not allow himself to be taken. Exactly. So this is Johnny's point about how it's win-win. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so smart that no matter what happens, I'll come up on top. Yeah, he counted himself as having achieved yeah. a shrewd, what was it, a shrewd bargain here. Mm. A sharp bargain, excuse me. Yeah, very good. So, yeah, that, that's a great paragraph there. He just thinks that there's this is a fail-proof plan, mm. except that... Jesus is not going to resist. He's mm. not going to manifest his divine power. He is going to be bound. He is going to go on trial. And he is going to end up before Pilate mm. and eventually nailed to a Roman cross. Mm. Yeah. And, this and Judas can't yeah. bear it. You know, two times, two times, mm. she actually puts words into Judas's mouth. You know, she mm. says, Judas said this. Mm. Judas said this. And one of them is just a few paragraphs later where she says, as the trial, this is how the paragraph begins, as the trial drew to a close, yeah, yeah. Judas could endure the torture of his guilty conscience no longer. Suddenly a hoarse voice rang through the hall, sending a thrill of terror to all hearts. He is innocent. Spare him, O Caiaphas. Mm. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's absolutely yeah. wild. So he, as he sees G Jesus being bound and not resisting, she says a terrible fear comes upon him and he tries to stop but the snowball is rolling downhill now, and he is slowly coming to the realization Jesus wasn't kidding when he said he would go, he would be betrayed, he mm. would be killed, he would be... And, and he's not going to resist. He's not going to manifest his divine power. And then he's so moved by this, mm. but his, his, his sense even here of being moved is not for Jesus, for his well-being, or any sense of sincere repentance. Mm. It's that his whole idea of being in some privileged position with Jesus on the throne of David, that is crumbling all around him. Oof. And, you know, let's not make Judas out to be something fundamentally different from us, because that othering actually helps us to dissociate from the chapter. 
Judas loved Jesus. Yeah. She says it. He loved him, appreciated him, understood him, but thought he needed some help. And here when he saw Jesus, a guy that he knew, a guy that he'd laughed with him and he'd talked with him and he'd, he'd eaten with him and he'd, they'd slept by the fire together, it hurt his heart to think, I'm the cause of this. Yeah. And he couldn't take it. And like you said, he went out and he thought, I can't, life is too difficult. If I can't be the number one guy, I cannot bear this guilt. Because he was a giant failure and his name now has become synonymous in all of literature and history with the worst kind of treachery. I wonder if Judas actually could somehow see, I don't want to say the prophetic eye, obviously not, but just see how bad his action was, that Mm. that's why he was so despairing. Like, that there was like, in a a weird, twisted way, him realizing like, the crowd is not going to come, they're not going to free him, he is going to take it to the cross, they are going to cut him up, I'm going to look bad, it's game over. Yeah, well, one of the features of narcissistic personality disorder, this often happens to people and I think like sort of their mid-40s to mid-50s, and it's when sort of life is catching up and Mm. old age is catching up and you realize that, you know, you're past the halfway point of your life very likely and all of the sort of portrait and picture that you've painted yourself out to be this spectacular, Mm. amazing, incredible person, now you know, the, the, the receipts are coming in and, yeah. and people are becoming increasingly aware that that's not the case. And these people commit suicide at very high mm-hmm. rates because mm-hmm. they can't face the idea that they'll be known for being fraudulent and deceptive. And that's what happens here. He couldn't bear the idea to be known as he was, and so he ended his own life. I mean, we, we didn't get there yet, but I wrote the word coward. Like you go, mean, go, go. Where, where are we well, at? Well, this is the next one, but there are so many things to... Th- I can come back to it. No, that. no. Where are you at? Go, girl. Well, just like in on page 847 um, yeah. in the paragraph where, you know, he felt that he could not live to see Jesus crucified. How does the paragraph begin? Judas saw, as to what's the bottom, gotcha. that his um, entreaties were in vain, and he rushed from the hall exclaiming, It, it is, is too, too late. It, it is, is too late. late. Mm. He felt that he could not live to see Jesus crucified, and in despair went out and hanged himself. I was like, what a coward. Like, dude, this is what you did to Christ. Yeah. And yet you can't even face it. it. This is why he was not truly, this is how we know that he wasn't truly repentant. Because if he was repentant, kind of like Peter was repentant when he wept um, bitterly. Yeah. You know, afterwards when Christ, you know, was, you know, was resurrected and all that good stuff. You know, Peter continued the ministry. Judas, if he was truly Mm. repentant, he would have done so. But he was a coward. Let me ask you this. Hannah, let me ask you this question. When he says it is too late... What does that mean? For, it's too late for himself. I think for redemption for himself. And I think that's what he's thinking for himself. And so, so okay. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. What if Judas in that moment, what if history was written totally differently and Judas had the Peter-like experience and he realized what he had done and he also, like Peter, found himself at the feet of Jesus and confessed his sin and mm-hmm. confessed what happens. Is he saved or unsaved? I mean, I think... Would Jesus have taken him back is what I'm after? Personally, I think if he were truly repentant, I think so. Of course. I absolutely think so. Because, because, so my point is, is when he's saying it's too late, it's too late, he's not saying it's too late because Jesus has Mm. excluded me, Jesus has written me off. Mm. It's he, he has made a series of choices and decisions in, as you said at the outset there, not living up to the potential that was his in Christ. This is not something that Jesus is doing to Judas. Yeah. Something Judas is doing to Judas. 
So when he says, it's too late, it's too late, those are the words of Judas, not the words of Jesus. Yeah. He could have tried to redeem himself. I mean, if, if God forbid, if that were me, or, well, sometimes we, we do these things to Christ anyway. We crucify him every day when we sin. But, like, for me, I'm like, okay, well, how can I get back right with God? Mm. And so if he truly had a repentant heart, he would try to figure out, okay, how can I right this wrong? Like as, Peter did. Yeah, like Peter, as, as bad as it is, like, it's awful. How can you, you know, even Paul was transformed. Mm. Thank Saul you. to Paul. So there, there was an if, if you were just going to compare, if you were going to say, this is what Judas did, this is what Paul did, you would say, like, by human balances, that Paul's sins were worse, right? Like, mm. Paul was a murderer. Oh, Paul yeah. was, a, was a massive persecutor of the church, right? Like, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Judas never persecuted Jesus. Yeah. Mm. He betrayed him. He made a miscalculation. He made a bad choice. It was a... J- Judas could have repented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He could have confessed. And he could have been saved. He could have been reinstated yep. into a relationship with Pete, with Jesus, just like Peter could have been. But the point is, it wasn't Jesus that excluded Judas. It was Judas that excluded Judas. Yep. Self, once again. By the way, when the priests, when he goes to the priests and throws the money. Yeah, and says, that's good. When he throws it down and says, have your money. Do you know what? They say, in quoting, this is from mm-hmm. um, Matthew 27, 4. What is that to us? You see to it. Think about this. A sinner burdened with grief and shame and guilt has come to a priest and a Mm stand-in, right? A a picture, a portrait of who Jesus is supposed to be. And their response is, that has nothing to do with us. You take care of your own sin. This gives you an insight right here into the fact that these priests were in no way, shape, or form representatives of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, the true high priest, Mm -hmm. just washed Judas' feet, gave him the emblems of the wine and the Mm -hmm. bread, and was doing anything and everything he could to get himself into Judas' life to try and save him. But what do these guys say? When a man comes racked with with sin and guilt and shame, what do they say? Nah, we don't, that that has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with us. Mm -hmm. You see to that. Yeah. That is so sad. Yeah. But ultimately, that's what Judas wanted, right? He wanted to see to it himself. Jesus should have been the one that was seeing to it. But because he had excluded Jesus, because he had pushed Jesus out of the picture, now the only th- the only savior that Judas had was Wasn't, Judas was himself. Was himself. So that, that rightfully, could they say, "You see to it"? It was. I mean, it wasn't a good thing. But yeah. He's got no choice. It's left with him. That's she, it. She actually says in this last uh, page here that two times he confessed. When he turned to them with confession, they spurned him. And I wrote here, he should have confessed to Jesus. Mm. Yeah, where's this? Where's that one? Oh, it's like, right at the end of that paragraph. I have oh, sinned. sinned. Yeah. And then the next paragraph, it says, G- G- Judas did not repent. His confession was forced from his guilty soul by an awful sense of condemnation. And uh, yet Jesus spoke no word of condemnation. That's got Romans 8, 1 mm. all over it. There is therefore now no condemnation. condemnation. Jesus does not condemn Judas. Judas condemns Judas. By his actions, by his decisions, and ultimately by his choice to end his own life. Yeah. I mean, I just can't get over this. You guys, I can't get over this idea that if Judas had gone back to Jesus, he could have had the exact same experience that Peter had. Mm. Yep. Mm. Judas slammed the door, Mm. not Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lord Jesus have mercy. I and mean, how often do we do that to ourselves? That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. Hold on to your thought there. Yeah. Friends, listen to me on this. If we are reading this chapter by othering Judas, mm. we're reading it wrong. Mm. It's true. If we're reading it and thinking, man, 
That's not me. Mm. I could never. Mm. I'm, I don't indulge sin. I don't mm. foster sin. I don't tamper mm. with sin. Man, I'm so unlike this guy. We missed it. Mm. We missed it. Because what we're supposed to do is see ourselves in mm. Judas and see it as a warning, not as like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't relate to me at all, man. Look at that guy. Look what happened to him. We're supposed to feel like you just said. We do that. Yeah. We act like that. We think like that. This could happen to us. Not because God is doing something to us, but because we, through the deceitfulness of sin, find ourselves progressively, fractionally, increasingly, incrementally making a series of bad decisions. And before you know it, we're in a place that we thought we'd never get to. Mm. Judas never thought he was going to hang himself. Mm. Mm. Sin is not to be indulged. It is not to be fostered. No. It is not to be tampered with, man. Run to Jesus at the moment where you feel like, no, I've gone too far. I've crossed that bridge. That was my last chance. Yeah. Run to Jesus as fast as you can. Get on your knees and cry your eyes out and say, God, forgive me. I did it again. I need help. Mm. And you will be saved. If we confess our sins, he is yeah. faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Go ahead, girl. Mm. I'm well, fired up. I'm preaching. Mm. Mm. Well, it just made me think of another sermon you did. Uh, <laughs> well, the very first sermon that, that I've ever heard you preach about like how a righteous man falls down but gets back mm. up. Come on. And so we all have that opportunity to mm. get back up and Christ gives that us to us. One of the things I used to struggle with was like just kind of condemning my own self. Correct. You know, and I would have, you know, saying whisper to me like, no, you're not good enough. You're not this, you're not down to third, you know. But then sometimes, this is why sometimes you have to press forward. You have to press through all those thoughts, those negativity, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have, have somebody else pray for you. Sometimes when I mm. pray for myself, I was surrounded in my women's group where they were praying for me. And so, I mean, even Christ was ministered to. The times when he was going through his stuff, he was ministered to. Yeah, beautiful. A um, couple of points. I'm going to kind of go through a little yeah, bit do really it. quickly. Do but it. going back to page 846, and my husband and I were talking about this at the bottom where it says, the tall form of Judas was now seen pressing through the subtle throng. Throng. His face was pale and haggard and great drops of sweat stood on his forehead. So we were looking at the contrast to, to Christ. I mean, in the previous chapter, we saw pale and calm. And then mm. here we see pale and haggard. Haggard. And great drops of sweat stood on his forehead. And Christ had um, great drops of blood, blood. Uh, blood sweats or sweat of blood or something yeah, of that gotcha. nature. Um, and then moving forward, um, you just um, read in Matthew 27, um, verse 4. If we read later on in our Bibles, in Matthew 27, verse 6, it talks about how the priests were saying, it is not lawful for us to put them into the treasury. They're talking about, you the know, blood money. the blood money. And because it is the price of blood. Wow. And I found it interesting um, going into depth study because that's what DA with DA has done for Come me on, going to study. It kind of takes you to Zechariah. Um, chapter 11 verses 4 through 14 when it kind of when it talks about that you know prophetic word about how you know being betrayed and you know burying the money in a field correct so you know you guys should go back to to look at that and then going to the to the paragraph that you were just um reading about how judas cast himself at, at the feet of jesus and how christ never condemned him i wrote down that christ was calm just like we saw in the last chapter yeah he was never was that your word for the last chapter oh yeah i told you you missed my thing. I missed it. You were you were the first one, and I missed it. I apologize. It's okay. I mean, everybody had that word. Uh, well, almost everyone. Christ, or serene, or some yeah, some yeah, synonym. Some yeah. Effect. Christ was calm, and he never came out of character. We do. We come out of character, or we reveal our character. But Christ never comes out of character. He's mm. consistent, and that's fortunately by the grace Beautiful. of God. That's what we have to cling on to. That's how we can go to Him when we sin. Mm. Mm. She says that when Jesus came in, or when Judas came in and cast himself down at the feet of Jesus, which we've seen again and again, was a, is a safe place to be. Mm. That 
the people looking on, it says, they beheld the patience or the forbearance of Christ toward his betrayer. And again, there swept over the crowd the conviction that this man was more than mortal. Where's that? Uh, this is the paragraph, a murmur of surprise. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, think about that. They see the way that Jesus treats <laughs> Judas in that moment, and they're like, who treats their betrayer like that in a public situation? And they, they say, man, this guy is not like us. This is yeah. the uninventable Jesus. This is the exceptional, peerless, incomparable Jesus. And then this. But if he was the son of God, they question, why did he not free himself from his bonds and triumph over his accusers? That's the very question we're going to get into in a couple days in Calvary. Mm -hmm. Why, when he can prevent this, is he still going through with it? Mm -hmm. No one could comprehend it. Johnny, no one could understand why. Mm -hmm. We now know the why, mm -hmm. retrospectively. Mm -hmm. But at the time, they thought, make sense. if he has all that power, if he can feed the you know, thousands with a few loaves and fish, and he can heal lepers and raise the dead... Uh, water to wine. Why wouldn't he extract himself from this situation? Yeah. In the end, why is the big question here? And no one knows the answer. Mm. We're going to have the answer revealed to mm. us. It's not because he lacks power. It's because he has a super abundance of love mm. for others. But that's not yet understood. Yeah. I mean, and I wrote down in, in the side... What was meant for evil, God turned it around for good. God used that. I mean, just like when he said, for this hour came out into the world. I mean, the reason why is because he did that for us so that yeah. we in our generation to and to come can be saved and have the opportunity. He didn't, he submitted to that. There Beautiful. was a word that it could have been my word for the last chapter was submission. He mm. submitted to that. He submitted to the cause. Mm. I like it. Okay. Speaking of that, are you guys ready to, to tell me what your word is for this chapter? Should we see what others have? I like to do, yeah, yeah. see what others have. Yeah, yeah. And then we can see if you see your word. We, we skipped all the, the bloody stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that last chapter. Yeah. stuff. Yeah. Why don't you read us that last paragraph? Because maybe, maybe, maybe hearing it in a female voice will soften <laughs> it a little bit. <clears throat> Later that same day. This is the last paragraph. Yep. On the road from Pilate's Hall to Calvary, there came an interruption to the shouts and jeers of the wicked throng who were leading Jesus to the place of crucifixion. Hmm. As they passed a retired spot, they saw at the foot of a lifeless tree the body of Judas. It was a most revolting sight. His weight had broken the cord by which he had hanged himself to the tree. In falling, his body had been horribly mangled, and dogs were now devouring it. Eww. It's nasty. His remains were immediately buried out of sight, but there was less mockery among the throng, and many a pale face revealed the thoughts within. This line is incredible. Retribution seemed already visiting those who were guilty of the blood of Jesus. Mm. Ellen White has that way of tying up a chapter in a way and yeah. you just go, well, but that point she makes is incredible. People walked by it and thought, you don't mess with this guy. Yeah. But the irony and the beauty of it is, is that you don't mess with this guy, not because he's going to do something to you, you can do something to yourself. but you'll do something to yourself. You turn away from that kind of love, that kind of peace, that kind of service, yeah. that kind of sacrifice. The only place to go is down. Mm-hmm. Okay, so everyone, that's our chapter on Judas. A lot of takeaways here, and I want to know what your word was. Okay, so GayMain44 says, my word was betrayal. Mm. Good word. By the way, if you, say your, if you see your word, say it. Okay. okay. Ooh, 5 Carson's 05 goes where Johnny went. Appetite. Mm. Megan says, tragic. 
Aspen Girl 07 says self nitro. Uh, let's see, I missed that one. Repent, I think. Oh, they're coming so fast. Warning, darkness, sad, beware, good. Uh, warning, I haven't seen my word yet. Warning, warning. Okay, these are all good words. Uh, repent, opportunity. It's so funny. I was I was looking for Hannah to come up there, but you're <laughs> well, sitting right here. Well, that person has like three words. Choice. <laughs> I, that's five. what made me think of you. Uh, unsurrendered, choice, desire, leaven, Michelle. I like that. Opportunity, politician. Oh, stone doctor. Leaven, self-seeking, ambition. Oh, I miss Hester Stick to itiveness, ambition, unmoved, retribution, blinded, revelation. I've not seen my word yet. Me neither. Pride, <laughs> darkness. I wonder if we all three are going to have the same word. Kiss, okay. Yeah, betrayed with a kiss. Surprised. Love. Oh, wow. That's going the other way. Yeah. Retribution. Unrepentant, says Monica. I feel that. These are good. Um, self. Okay. Jose okay. says self. Might. Slave. And, oh, there's my word. There's my word. Which one? There's my word. Which one? Might. My word is might. Yeah, I had a, yeah, a feeling. My word one. is might. I haven't seen mine. You still haven't, haven't seen your word. Either. Okay, let me make my case. Let me make my case. Okay. So in the first, in the very first paragraph, very first sentence, mm. yeah. the history of Judas yeah, presents might. the sad ending of a life that might have been. Yeah. Listen to this one. Uh, page 842. In ministering to others, Judas might have developed an unselfish spirit. Mm. And then page 843, 719 of the original, he might have comprehended the methods of Christ. For me, this what might have been, exactly as Megan says there, for me, this comes down to how you launched the whole thing, Hannah. Big shout out to you. You said unrealized potential. Might. And here's what I wrote. I wrote might. What might have been. And then a slight play on words, and you might not like this. Well, you see what I did there? You might not like this. But in all of this, Jesus showed another kind of might. Mm, See what good. I did there? So you have the yeah, what might like have it. been, I and like Jesus it. is going to show a might, an incomprehensible strength, a power that people don't understand. To his betrayer. The power of forgiveness, the power mm. of love, yes. the power of mercy, yes. the power of mm. a second yeah. chance. Mm -hmm. So my word was might because of the... And I've mentioned this before. God's knowledge of things that could have been or might have been is mm -hmm. what is called middle knowledge. These are what are known as counterfactuals. God's knowledge of things that could have been other than they were and God saw yes. what Judas could have become. Mm. And I don't want to be a casualty of that kind of might. Mm. Yeah. I do not want people to say, oh, you know, David might have been. I want all of my full potential in Christ, including and especially the potential that begins to be mine when I'm forgiven, when I'm transformed, right. when I'm accepted, when I'm changed, when I'm a son of God, yeah. to be realized. Yes. I don't want to be a casualty of the great... Yeah. Tragedy of might mm. have yep. been. Mm. Yep. Mm. Hannah, what was your word? Can you guess? We ain't got time for that. So. <laughs> Betray. No. I'm surprised you can get this one. Okay. So my word is da -da -da -da, price. Price. Yeah, and this is a good one too. No, that's good. That's price. good. When that's it, very good. In the second paragraph, when I pointed out the price of a slave, and we talked about, you know, the price, like what was it worth? 
to what was the value of Christ? What was it worth to Judas? It was that, you know, those 30 pieces of silver. Mm. And then, I mean, I think it mentions it like, she mentions it like two or three times again in the paragraph, I mean, in the, in the chapter about price. And so it reminded me, so that was a different kind of price. It reminded me of what Christ paid the price for yeah, us. Yeah, I love it. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 6.20 when he says, when it says, For ye are bought with, with a, a price. price. Therefore glorify God in, in your, your body. body. And in your spirit, which are God's. And then in chapter 7, verse 23 says, Ye are bought with a price. Mm. Be not ye servants of men. Mm. And uh, remember, Judas became like a servant. He was a slave to sin. He was a slave to the priest. Like he thought he was, you know, buying, you know, paying the price, whatever, of Christ as a slave. But he himself was a slave. He was the slave. He mm. was a slave. Slave to sin because he tampered, yep. indulged, and fostered. Yeah. Yep. Price. I like it. I like it a lot. I take yeah. it. Uh, Johnny, did you see your word up there? I did not see my okay. word. Okay, well then, so my word is a little different. Brady Sherry says, "Love it, Hannah." Okay, high five. Price. Yeah. Um, my word was new, new, new. Yeah, new, like K N E. Oh, new, K N E W. And I'll make my case. Let's um, hear it. But it's actually interesting because Judas knew not that he was giving up Christ up to death. Then it says, "But he was confused and knew not what to say." This is the story of. Caiaphas, and then later on it says he knew. This is this is talking about Jesus. He knew that Judas did not repent. So there's this idea that Jesus knew, and yet of course he still he still forgave, even though and that Judas had, knew not, and that Judas knew not. And so my my Ooh. idea is John seventeen three, and this is life eternal that they might know, know the the, the only true God. So I want people to say of me that he knew Jesus, mm. not that he knew not. Which was the problem with Judas. Oh, Judas I really like that. That, that he knew, knew, not that he knew. Not, exactly. I like that. So I want them to say, Johnny knew, not Judas knew not. Yeah. Beautiful. That's no, but that's fine. that's great. We all had different words. Knew, I didn't see that coming at all. Price, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I really like that. One word this time, guys. One word. <laughs> I know, because you're normally like the nine word girl. Seven. Seven or, three. or something or something. Yeah. Um, okay. Did you guys do the rubric? Yes. Okay. What did I do with my book? Oh, I didn't even finish one part of it, but you had your book. It's somewhere in there. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, Johnny, for you, let's start with you, Johnny, and then we'll go Hannah, and then to me. Johnny, what was the point of this chapter for you? Um, again, going with my word, I want, um, and it's also part of the practice, of course, but that God knows me mm. and that I will know him. Beautiful. And Unlike Judas, who was just going through the motions. And I'll know myself. Know that that without God, it's it's all in vain. The knowledge of myself is nothing. Yeah, no, that's good. I also think we need to be on that in community. I just think we our community can know us and see us in ways that we can't see ourselves. Mm. Okay, what do you got, girl? What was the point? Okay, Hannah. For me, well, Judas betrayed Christ and sold him for the price of a slave, not even realizing he himself was a slave. Um, not just to the priest, but worst of all, a slave to sin, a slave to greed. He served mm. as a warning for me not to be a slave to sin or the things that are my like my vices, my my sin vices. So that was my. That's really good. No, I like it. Mm. Um, I wrote um, to describe the mocker. Oh no, that was yesterday's. Here we go. To give us an inside view into mm. Judas' demise and downfall. Mm set against the backdrop of his potential, mm. what might have been. Mm. 
Mm. That's good. Okay, Johnny, uh, person. What do we learn about the person of God or of Christ in this chapter that we might not have known from another chapter? I mean, I think it goes back to that same point of forgiveness. The fact that he speaks kindly even to his betrayer. He's like, look, this is, this is, this is the whole reason why I came. Even when it's been exposed that he's done that. So you, I, I know we've dwelt a lot on the story of Judas, which, you know, that's the title of the chapter. But it also tells us something about the, the, the Jesus. And that is that he is always looking to restore. He's always looking to forgive. He's always looking to uplift. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that, you know, Judas dies this untimely death is something for us to learn. To learn, um, you know, about about not trusting in ourselves. Yep. You know, when Judas throws himself down at the feet of Jesus and confesses his betrayal, she says, there was no condemnation in mm. the words of Jesus to Judas. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm. That's got Romans 8, 1 all over it. Mm. So forgiveness. Okay. Mm. Uh, person, Hannah. Uh, for me, Christ gives me, I'll just put, Christ gives me more opportunities than I ever could deserve. Mm. His love. You know, she does use that word opportunity here at least once or twice. And she talks about how he had the opportunity. He had the opportunity. He had the opportunity. So a big part of opportunity and potential. Those words are actually quite similar, aren't they? If we're going to realize our potential, we have to be capitalizing on the opportunities that are afforded us. Here's what I put. Person, God sees what's possible Mm. and treats us according to our potential. Mm. Mm. Very similar to what you did. Mm. Mm. Sort of potential and opportunity. Uh, Johnny, how are you going to pray this? How do you pray this chapter? Just, Lord, help me to know you better. Yeah. To know you. Yeah. Yeah, you're really sticking. You're you're going yeah, hard I mean, on know. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hannah? Lord, please help me not to have selfish desires and be blinded by them. Mm. Help me not to be separated from you. Ever. I love the fact that you use the word blinded because two times she says Judas was blinded. Judas was blinded. To end by. I put God help me and teach me not to one, tamper, indulge, or foster sin. And then two, to think of myself as superior to others. Right? Because it's easy to do that. It's easy to look down. But that C.S. Lewis quote is so good. We can't look up to God if we're looking down on others. Okay, then finally, Johnny, how do we practice, be as practical as possible, how do we practice this chapter on Judas? It's a tricky one. Like, this is a mirror you don't want to look in. Yeah. I mean, anti-tempering um, with with sin. Ooh, Just, okay. Just, like, staying away as far as possible from it, not fostering, not indulging it. Um, when it comes up, even if it's in subtle ways, to run away from it, flee, you know, not, not, not flirt. Flee youthful lusts which yeah. war against the soul. Excellent. See, uh, C.D. Brooks years ago, man, you've probably heard, you've he heard all of this. He did a voice. <laughs> C.D. Brooks had this great line. He said, the problem is some of you are crawling away from sin when you should be fleeing. We crawl in hope that sin will catch up with us. The Bible says flee. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? He said, we crawl away from sin, hoping it'll catch up with us. When the, Bible's, the Bible says flee. I've never heard of him before, but I, I, I like how he... <laughs> He's so good. He was, the, he was the greatest preacher that this church ever saw. Okay, girl, did you give us your prayer? Um, you mean to practice? You practice. Um, no, to be more self-aware and honestly to just not... To, to allow myself to have my accountability partner here mm-hmm. to... Um, yeah, to just pretty much call me out. I don't, I don't want to be blinded by the things 
that, you know, that can cause separation from Christ. If there's grass on your path, right? Mow it. Yeah, you want somebody to say, hey, listen, Hannah, there's some grass on your path. Yeah. I mean, my wife does the same, man. She is so good in that regard. I mean, marriage is such a refining and ennobling thing. It's really, it's really tragic that we are living in a time right now when there's this incredible war on marriage and war on the family because when it comes to the refining and ennobling of human Mm. beings, there is no better school than the school of marriage. Mm. There just isn't because you live in that close proximity to another person and they're up in your stuff and you're living in the same house and living in the same place and they're seeing you in all of your... Ugliness. Yeah, your failings. And your, and, and yet, yet, you're fully known mm-hmm. and fully loved, but you have people that can say, hey, listen, I think we need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Community, community, community. Okay, here's what I wrote. Practice. To practice the discipline of careful, thoughtful, spiritual self-evaluation. Yeah. To surround myself with a community that is willing and able to tell me the truth to check about me. myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to ch- yeah, that's right. That's a good word. To check me. To check me. All right. We hope you all enjoyed that chapter. We will be back tomorrow with our chapter titled, what is it? In Pilate's Judgment Hall, chapter 77. It'll be around the same time, maybe a little earlier tomorrow. I have to read this. In between sleep and kids and going to work. You got a big day tomorrow. (laughs) So it'll be tomorrow evening. Maybe uh, we don't know the exact time. It'll be around the same time. And uh, Johnny and Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. You know, this chapter on Judas is a warning to us. Mm -hmm. And it's a chapter, maybe not in the same way that we go back to the Gethsemane chapter, which we go back to in worship. And we just remind ourselves there of the incredible reality that was Jesus being numbered with the transgressors. But I think this is a chapter that we should go back to every now and again just to look in that mirror and not other Judas and say, you know, am, am I thinking of myself? Am I not surrounded with community? Do I imagine myself as having some incredible foresight and awareness that uh, I think this is a chapter that we shouldn't say, oh, yeah, we did that. We, we're done with that. I think we go back here occasionally yeah. and have a read of it and, and do the real self-evaluation thing and see if the shoe fits. Yep. Johnny, you want to close with us? For sure. Free? Close prayer. Sure. Let's pray. Nice and loud. Father in heaven, Lord, we're grateful and thankful for your word, for these these minutes that we've spent in it, Lord, realizing and recognizing that much of the life of Judas is just Latin within us. If, if it's fostered, if somehow it's indulged and tampered with. So, Lord, may we keep those words of warning uh, close to our hearts. May we ask you to know us, to love us, to transform us, to change us, to make us into your likeness, mm. and that we will not end up like Judas, but rather mm. like Peter, preaching with fire. Guide and direct us this evening as we rest, and be with us in all that we do tomorrow is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.